Welcome to the Power of Perspective podcast, the podcast that explores the transformative power of different perspectives. I'm your host, Stephen, and in today's episode, we delve into the world of mindfulness with an incredible guest. During a Kontiki term through Southeast Asia, I had the pleasure of meeting our guest, Bahakan. We embarked on an unforgettable journey together as part of a vibrant group, and I was inspired by Bahakan's deep understanding and practice of mindfulness. In this episode, we'll explore the essence of mindfulness, Bahakan's personal journey, and the impact of mindfulness on our lives. Welcome onto the show. It's so great to have you on. Thank you, Stephen. Like, I was really happy to get the invitation to join the podcast. Um, it's fun to be on this side of the, the chair, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, we've sort of done a, a one for one Z where you know, he had me on his past class, which I really enjoyed. And um, so um, now I've brought him on mine. Yeah, so I'm really excited about that. And thank you for the lovely introduction. Um, you definitely made me sound like a mystical guru, but. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that, that's the impression and aura I get from you, man. It's <laughs> 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 you know, I'm just a guy who's just trying to be more aware of himself and the world around us. And that's kind of what, and that's like actually a huge cornerstone of what mindfulness is. No, like if you interact with Bahak and he, he definitely gives this kind of like total vibe of it. You can almost like, you know, sense this guy's kind of got like quite a awareness and mindfulness. And that really thinks sort of, I think deeply about what you say. And that sort of conveys quite nicely. Yeah. yeah. And it's not just about what I say because mindfulness is so like just as a like a, a little definition for folks who may not be familiar with it. It's this philosophy slash practice of awareness. And this is like it's not just like this shallow, like I'm aware of things through like my thinking about them as aware, but it's more like awareness as a sensation, awareness of yourself, awareness of things around you, but also things around you as an extension of yourself, like awareness of the space you take up, awareness of the position of your body, awareness of the words that you say. Um, all of it is like, it's, it's a little complicated to describe, but it's like, imagine you have your mind that does all the thinking, you have your heart that does all the feeling, but there's a layer in the middle. You're like a consciousness that does the awareness and it like kind of provides the data to the heart the signals to the heart and the mind on what to act on but you need that consciousness to be aware of things you almost get a sort of sense of um, mysticism about it when you chat to people who've sort of really experienced mindfulness itself and that kind of awareness and you know it's, mm -hmm. it is quite sort of a <laughs> like a disconnect as you try to explain it to someone yeah I mean it's linked very closely with Buddhism. A lot of mindfulness practices come from Buddhism and Hinduism, uh, which are already pretty closely linked. So you mentioned the Kantiki trip throughout Southeast Asia. And that was like actually really fun for me, like really interesting for me because I've been practicing mindfulness for about a year and a half now. And just being there where like these like Buddhist centers, it was like kind of, it was really cool to like see the other side, see these cultures that were more morphed by the philosophy than the culture I grew up in in the US. Yeah, it was quite interesting where it was like, as opposed to just certain individuals kind of being into it as maybe a bit of a minority, it's like a whole societal sort of shift 
um, that's has come from them sort of incorporating that into their lives. And, you know, it actually, I found like it actually made for such high quality people to sort of um, interact with, you know, so sort of honest and kind and, you know, just kind of happy and not sort of maybe stressing on a lot of the things the Western sort of folk do. Yeah. It's it's cool because it's so simple. It makes things a lot simpler than they need to be. Like in the West, in the U.S. especially, like there's this culture of of more, of like consuming more and more. Like you you get a you get a job, you like you make try to make as much money as you can so you can afford better things like bigger houses, nicer cars, newest technologies. You and we keep wanting, we keep moving the goalpost. Like some people refer to it as lifestyle creep, where you need you're no longer happy with a lower quality of living and to get that higher quality of living you need to spend more money so you're constantly chasing something that you think will give you happiness now conversely if you go to the more buddhist cultures a core tenet of buddhist philosophy is that happiness isn't tied to material things happiness is a choice it's one of the only choices we can make in the world, um, in this life, because ultimately Buddhist philosophy and mindfulness especially is focused on getting us to see the reality exactly as it is rather than how we want it to be. And when you accept that we can't change that reality directly, like the present, the present moment is happening as it is. Maybe we can affect the future, but we are in the present right now. And once you accept that this is how it is, you can choose how your outlook is on this. You can say, oh, well, it's miserable. I, like, I, I need more. I need that future. So I'm miserable in the present. And then you're going to be miserable. Or you could say, hey, we're here. I'm here. I'm, I'm experiencing this present moment with you. Like right now, we are having this present moment together, having this conversation and it's lovely and no other moment really matters because this is the moment that is happening right now. And that I think that helps me at least produce this like inner calm. I don't have to worry so much about the future because I'm just focused on the now and there's so much beauty in the now, in the present. Sort of moving away from this great tendency to always worry about the future or sort of let the past haunt us. You're kind of very much focused on what you're doing now and sort of observing the things about kind of your body sensations, your emotions, your thoughts in like sort of non-judgmental way. Just saying like, that's a thing I thought, but it's not my reality. Yeah. And so on the past and, and future thing. So I like to say, you know, the past is gone. We can't change the past. The past is done. So there's no real point in like living in the past. But also in conversely, we don't know what's going to happen in the future. Any number of possibilities could happen in the future. The only moment that we really know for certain of what is happening right now is the present. Cool. So um, as kind of like a, a bundle, like if you had to just say like what are the sort of kind of key elements and maybe even qualities that mindfulness is like almost picture like a little brainstorm chart. Um, maybe just kind of outline that. Then we can sort of know the scope of, you know, what what is there in it? Yeah, it's it's like a thought philosophy. It's a lifestyle. It's a practice. It's a lot of it, there. Yeah, there are a lot of things. So it's the so I'd say that the core to it 
like like I mentioned a few times already is awareness is this like deep self-awareness especially so that's that would i i'd say it would be the core of this and maybe on the periphery we have the practical things like how do you practice mindfulness and a lot of people think that oh you've got to do meditation to practice mindfulness but you know then meditate it's like seated meditations are a very excellent way to practice mindfulness but you know uh, admittedly it can be very difficult for people to get into like it's a very uncomfortable sitting around doing nothing um i know for um, experience that can be very challenging but i think we can expand this view of mindfulness because really it's not just seated meditation it's anything anything can be a mindful activity but the key is going back to that core of awareness it's about being in the present moment and being aware of what you're doing what is really going on and less about your thoughts and worries more about taking in the, the thrill of the present moment so for me for instance i love to cook um, I've loved cooking for years and over time it's become a very mindful activity for me. And uh, I say that versus mindless because I have to be aware of what I'm doing when I'm cooking. I can't just shut off my brain and just like throw things together because then I'll probably end up with a mess. But if I focus on the ingredients and the technique and the flavors and the smells and like just view cooking i view cooking as this journey from taking raw ingredients into this this beautiful this dish that is more than the sum of its parts and that in itself like just being aware of that journey and like focusing on that that for me is a very mindful thing walking is a super mindful activity if you focus on the walking a lot of uh, a lot of the times you know if you're walking for your commute sometimes you're not really focused on the journey you're focused on the destination but if you focus on more a little bit more on the journey like maybe pay attention to the trees a little bit more on your walk or the smells that that waft by your nose or the sensation of your foot hitting the ground and the different parts of your foot kind of like lifting off of the ground as you're walking these are how you cultivate a mindful practice in your normal life and in, in like a pretty easy way and and, you know, part of the sort of uh, common idea of kind of mindfulness is sort of um, breathing, right? Breathing is a common thing for life. Being intentional with breathing is is important. Um, I'd say, okay, I did forget about intention. Intention is another very important part of mindfulness. Yes, but maybe um, expand on what you mean by intention. Yeah, so intention, I would say, is it's like being making a conscious effort or decision it's where you like you try to be more focused on on something and it's more about the process rather than the goal so if you want so one thing to do is like one practice in mindfulness is called breath work where you try to change your breath shape and that can involve just doing like a four second inhale four second exhale or four second inhale four second pause four second exhale four second pause there are different ways you can change your breathing by focusing on the process of changing your breathing so that requires you to consciously think about how you're breathing and that in itself is intention and you can be intention shows up in a lot of ways for instance let's say you're in a, a long-term relationship uh, with a partner well intention can come in ways of like making an effort to make their day a little bit nicer or cooking a nice meal for them or uh, sharing like kind word, kind and meaningful words with them. Like these are ways that intention can show 
up and really help foster a more like a deeper relationship. Intention can also be used as a way to, I mean, people that focus on maybe their bodies or like, you know, go to the gym a lot. A lot of that is intention too. Like you're putting your mind toward the process of getting into better health and through that you take on these like you don't know what the end goal is you're not trying to get that end goal you're focusing on the process and in doing so you achieve great results and so you're doing this mindfulness and you know at some point you're going to realize you're getting kind of results out of it right and so what sort of happens right you know you're being more aware and that's quite a you know proactive sort of action but experience over time of doing this sort of changes and has sort of maybe even profound sort of benefits. But, you know, what, what sort of creating this kind of result um, through this practice? Uh, that's a good question. I think everyone, like everyone's mileage may vary here. For me, I definitely felt in more inner peace. I felt more... I don't know, more inner happiness, I guess. And in a way, like I, people can feel me in new ways. And it's a little, that feels a little, it sounds a little weird probably, but I have noticed people have changed how they viewed me or how they experienced me from before I started my journey to after. And a lot of it is that because uh, mindfulness is focused on intention and awareness, by if you start to become more aware of yourself, you start to really understand more of who you are and start to really understand your inner voice and your authenticity. So I just come off as a very authentic person because I know myself very closely and very well. And that can also come off as confident. So people see me as much more confident because I don't have to second guess my choices. I just, I do what feels right and what is consistent with my foundation. And I don't worry about what's going to happen or if I'm going to regret it because I trust myself to do the right decision with the information I have at any point in time. And, and so is there sort of an, an end goal of this journey? Um, or, you know, where do you see it sort of going? You know, I've stopped looking at the destinations and goals because in my view, putting an end goal on journeys like this, it's maybe it's a little premature uh, because the because I don't know what the end goal is. I have no idea where my journey is going to lead me. All I know is the journey I'm on and the path I'm taking and I know that right now it is providing me with happiness. If in the future it stops providing me with happiness, then I'll start to deviate and take a different path. Yeah, I guess I guess right now is just keep seeing, keep exploring where this goes. Um, there's always more to uncover. I mean, the Buddhists like believed that they, they had this concept of nirvana and enlightenment, right? Well, a lot of that is like, I've read some of the, not the like the original text, but like some reflections from some Buddhist monks and a lot of it is tied to that self-awareness that once you are more aware you become more enlightened and I, I definitely feel more enlightened now than I did like a couple years ago and part of my practice has really helped with that and it's helped me see like people in new ways and recognize patterns in people that I where I start to understand where it comes from and maybe through that I can I have more empathy and then I start to understand things within myself so I can make better decisions or be able to satisfy my needs 
in ways, uh, in better ways. So this journey is all about the internal and it, the better I, the more I understand myself, the more I show up for the whole world around me. And so there is, so I guess to go back to your question of what is the end goal, the end goal is uh, sarcastically enlightenment, <laughs> but uh, really there is no end goal. It's a, it's a beautiful journey. And as long as it's still with what the journey that I need, then it's the journey I'll, that I'll take. And that goes back back to awareness. I have to constantly be checking in on myself to make sure that this is the right thing that I'm on. But maybe we should all be doing checks like that. Yeah, I mean, myself, I'm actually also started sort of a mindfulness journey. I'm actually doing sort of like an eight-week course. And oh. it's it hasn't clicked yet, but like, you know, everyone sort of tells you these kind of positive things going out of it and what's the course about yeah so it's um it's actually funny enough one of my school friends sort of parents i saw them post a course on the the local sort of area group and mm. basically it's to kind of get people into it so it's quite practical but there's some theory of just each week you know a different type of practice it may go through from you know guided meditation um or body scans, which is interesting, where you kind of concentrate on the different aspects, like areas of your body, and just see, you know, you know, what is that area feeling like? Is it holding sort of tension? And then, you know, what thoughts come around that? And you know, you, you know, your feet, and then you're, you know, moving up sort of the different body parts. And so, right. those are sort of two of the types, and even movement meditation, almost just uh, <laughs> doing like an instructional exercise video or yoga type thing where there's a bit of sort of activity and maybe even a bit of heart rate but also just kind of doing it in a mindful way with sort of a guided well, well yoga has has a i mean yoga and mindfulness are very closely tied together i mean they're both like both very key in hindu culture like these are very like uh, yoga is already a very mindful uh, move it's i call it med a movement meditation yeah so i mean those are all quite enjoyable like i've sort of done yoga in the past and i did like it but it's kind of hard to equate that like to the mindfulness aspect when it's quite intense and you're just thinking on the actions and not almost having mm -hmm. space to you know reflect on what you're doing i don't know if it's just an alternate approach or there's sort of a deeper understanding i need to reach there yeah so but yeah, sort of on this journey, it's been quite cool, um, you know, just even understanding what it is as opposed to just the general idea that, you know, you sort of hear from school, like it's on a biological level, you know, what I'm sort of gathering is it's taking the sort of centers of your brain that regulate and almost control your emotional responses. So, you know, you have this emotion, which is a call to action from the subconscious that sort of will, the intention is to elicit a behavioral change, right? And mm -hmm. then on top of that, you sort of got the more developed brain. In particular, the last sort of state development is the prefrontal sort of cortex, which basically has, you know, rationality and logic and sort of uses that to interpret an emotion and allow you to, you know, pause, um, say, okay, I'm experiencing this emotion. How do I want to act as opposed to just, you know, more as an instinct acting? And so, yeah, I mean, at biological level, when they study these people, that's kind of what you're developing. And I find it interesting because, you know, I used to, you know, be quite interested in emotional intelligence. And a lot of that is, you know, social awareness, understanding your emotions and, you know, self being able to process them well 
and you know motivate yourself and all kind of being effective as a bundle and i sort of saw a lot of overlap in that and i thought that was kind of interesting it's almost like maybe mindfulness is, is developing emotional intelligence uh, i just found that kind of interesting parallel i don't know you know what's there but when they were listing you know cause and effect it kind of sounded very on the same sort of lines of what you kind of get out of it so yeah i mean that's sort of kind of at least the broader understanding and then bringing the practice into that um, at least, you know, I'm kind of understanding what I'm kind of doing to myself, but it hasn't quite clicked, but I'm definitely getting into it. And, you know, I do find it kind of relaxes me and it's interesting trying to develop because it's like developing a skill, right? You have to practice and the more you do it, the more able you are to do it. Yeah. So hopefully I get over that, you know, over the bridge to the point where I can experience this kind of more enlightened feeling. I think. So that's kind of where my journey's at. I'm quite excited about it, but there's a bit of that unknowing, you know? Yeah. I mean, I would, I would definitely say like, I mean, it's up to you, but I would, I, I've, I've found success in focusing on the journey itself and not about like the effects I'm trying to get out of it. Uh, although admittedly this my journey started from a very like more of uh outcome driven perspective at uh, like early on but uh that has since changed so what like motivated you to sort of get into it you say sort of outcomes you know that normally sort of indicates that there was maybe a challenge or a solution needed and you know a lot of people will reach out because of that maybe someone's struggling with anxiety or depression or, you know, handling difficult situations. Um, and so for yourself, so where were you at where this all kind of began? I have to start with um, even before the, like getting to the mindfulness journey, because before that I had some healing to do. And so it all started with a breakup, particularly difficult breakup, just because, not because of the breakup itself, but because like what caused the breakup. So uh, at the time my ex had said we had been dating for five years and she had asked me, well, what's next? And I had no idea what was next. I didn't know what I wanted in terms of the relationship. I had no idea what I wanted for myself in the next five years. And when I got these questions, I froze and it like literally felt like a pain in my gut. Um, and I didn't know what to say. And at some point, like it became too much for her and we ended the relationship. Really, it started with like therapy. I was seeing a therapist at the time and I wanted to understand why was I hitting these blockers? Why was it that I would get to this point and I wouldn't be able to feel or be able to express what I'm feeling or understand what I'm feeling? And initially it came from this place of being afraid of being alone. Like I was like, well, what if I'll never find another woman again and then I'll be like alone forever and that fear was driving me and that's what initially got me into therapy and while in therapy I was also doing a lot of reading on uh, psychology how the mind works understanding emotions like you you had mentioned like this interest in emotional intelligence and understanding like a more under more greater understanding about it and that's definitely where I was coming from at that time I wanted to understand like was it a, a lack of empathy on my part is that something that I need to learn or like why couldn't I connect on this level that she clearly could my ex and through therapy and my own readings I was able to find some of the scars within me that I needed to heal to like understand and like open myself up to my emotions and a lot of it was just sitting learning to sit with the discomfort 
of emotions. Sometimes emotions suck. Sometimes they feel like they feel like these waves of dread just washing over you. And you're like, I don't want to deal with this. I'm going to push it away. But by pushing it away, what you're doing is you're building it up in power. Your brain is like storing that for later and it will come back. These memories, these emotions, they will keep coming back until you resolve them. So then I started to like look into like read more about like, okay, how do I resolve these emotions or like how do I just sit with the discomfort and then I started to under like read some more mindful philosophy that's initially what got me into mindfulness trying to understand my emotions and it presented this some of the philosophies presented this idea of neutrality that emotions are neither good nor bad things that happen in the world aren't are neither good nor bad good and bad are judgments that our ego places on the world and ourselves but if we remove these judgments then we can see things as they are. We can feel the emotions that we feel and we can feel them because we feel them and then they will come and go. And we can see the world as it is rather than how we want it to be or how we want to see it. And then we can let the the world come and go as well. And by doing this, I started to learn to like live with my emotions and see my emotions as they were. And then when I started to understand myself better, I started to understand other people better. My empathy naturally grew because we're all pretty similar when you get back get down to like our emotional responses and things like that. And so I would start to see things within other people that I saw within myself, which helped me connect and maybe react to people uh, a little bit more authentically or help them in ways that they needed. And so then um, I started to also incorporate other things into my practice like meditation and yoga. I would already been doing yoga for years um, and I had really started to think about yoga as this more mindful practice, incorporating my breath and thinking about the positioning of my body as I'm doing the yoga. And that really helped me become more aware of my body in a physical space and my breathing and my posture. And so I was kind of tackling mindfulness from two different aspects, both the emotional side and the physical side. And I think that helped me build this like holistic view of myself and really helped me out. And then I did, uh, I started doing and dabbling in uh, psychedelics, um, psilocybin especially, and just little doses of that here and there really helped kind of remove some of these blockers in my brain on my perception of my own self. And then by doing that, I started to see myself as more of a holistic person, like in the past, and maybe you and maybe the listeners can relate to this. In the past, I was different Vahagans to different people. I was one version of myself to my family, one version of myself to my friends, one version to the coworkers, one version to my partner, et cetera, et cetera. And these were all very compartmentalized, very different people. When I started to understand myself better, I started to see that I didn't need to compartmentalize those Vahagans. I could release these walls and more intentionally choose what traits of each version of me I wanted for myself. So you've mentioned quite sort of a interesting sort of key points. So maybe I should backpedal to the ego, right? Mm-hmm. I've on your podcast, I'm sort of even heard the sort of depriving the ego. And so like to the listeners out there, like how do you sort of think about 
the ego as a sort of entity, you know, relative to the, the self. Just like your sort of um, idea of that sort of internal interactions between these various sort of like entities almost. So, uh, so a good exercise is uh, like, look at a mirror, look at yourself in a mirror and what are the first words that come to your mind? So a lot of those first words are going to be the judgment words. So maybe you look at the mirror and you're like, oh, tired. I've got bags under my eyes. I just woke up or whatever. I wasn't getting good sleep. Or, oh, my hair is a mess. I look kind of like a mess right now. Or, oh, I look, I look really hot. Like these are all like, these are all judgment words. They are what uh, the ego is like the judgment center of the brain. It takes the information that your senses and your awareness is bringing in and places good or bad descriptors on it. And this is very important in a lot of cases, right? Like we need to be able to make decisions. So we need to be able to identify which outcomes are desirable and which outcomes are not desirable. Uh, so there are definitely great things that the ego does. But a lot of cases at times when we aim it that lens of judgment on ourselves that's where we come into trouble that's where we start to like put ourselves down or you know feel like feel ourselves in maybe different ways than other people feel us and so so that's kind of how i view the the ego if that answers your question and this idea of depriving it um what, what was the thought behind that yeah. So to, for some added context, um, one of my, one of my buddies posted like a meme, uh, about, uh, with a quote, starve your ego to feed your soul. And that just felt so poetic to me because a lot of our lives, a lot of our culture and our society is built around the ego. I mentioned earlier, right? We were I was talking about lifestyle creep, how we want to keep consuming more and more things. And a lot of that comes down to the ego. Like we want these dopamine rushes. We want to get bigger and nicer things. We want to do the fancier experiences. Um, and so the ego is like constantly getting supported by like screen time, by like fun, by like all these things that it wants to do. But sometimes we don't give our uh, our our cores, our like souls or our consciousness or our awareness the attention it deserves. So part of starving, starving your ego isn't to kill the ego off, but just to give it a little break, fast it a little bit in order to understand your core and your values and your foundation a little bit better. Um, an easy way to do this is, you know, give yourself like maybe 15 minutes or 10 to 15 minutes of just sitting in silence. Like don't, don't put on a TV, don't put on any music, just like sit down, find a comfortable seat and just like think, sit there and think and see what comes up or like feel, feel the sensations that come up and doing that like that little practice is a can be a mindful practice and can really help you maybe sort out the things in your mind maybe maybe the thing you were worried about like maybe maybe someone like ticked you off um on the road today they like cut you off and like honked at you and you're like kind of pissed about it um but maybe like in doing the sitting you'll you'll get to calm your your ego a little bit and say like hey why am I holding on to this unnecessary memory? This is taking up space in my mind. I can just clean it up, let it go. And letting go, it just feels like you're removing like weights from your, your shoulders. 
and it just it feels freeing you feel lighter yeah we have this sort of tendency to almost obsess and continually bring up these sort of um things that happened to us that were you know troubled us and it's quite a tough thing to get out of right where you're like oh it's just that you know I, that person honked at me because i was driving i don't know badly yeah. and whatever and you take it personally and you just you keep thinking you know what could i have done and it's, it's quite it's quite hard to get out of that right it's it's like um yeah, that's why I say it's almost obsessive. Yeah, and I think it's kind of rooted in survival mechanisms. Like before when we were like more of a, like, I don't know, simians or whatever. Um, it was, We probably had to uh, rely on these like judgments and these um, like reminding ourselves of these negative situations because it was key to survival. Like what if something like this happened again and I would need it to remember this in order to, to survive. Um, but a lot of the unfortunately our society has evolved faster than our brains have evolved so we still have these tendencies for seemingly innocuous things um i read somewhere that um the amygdala has like twice as many neurons for negative emotions than for positive emotions because of this survival mechanism so part of mindfulness is kind of trying to like uh, modernize our minds a little bit and like keep us from running into these uh, like keep our our survival mechanism from going overboard and having us keep focusing on all these negative things that aren't actually necessary for our survival like no one's gonna care if you you're not gonna die if someone may have interpreted your you know like something you said in like in an offensive way or if someone cut you off in the road or whatever you know it's society's developed so fast that the biology is sort of behind where, you know, um, fight and flight is um, still triggering in a world where you're not constantly in danger. This is kind of anxiety preparing you for situations um, and but in an unconstructive way. So, yeah. It's, yeah, dealing with that sort of gap in development is quite sort of troubling um, in sort of modern times. And so you were saying that um to go back a bit on part of the important things is posture um you you've um you've sort of emphasized this in like chats um in fact if you if you, when you see Bahakan, you can immediately get a good sense of this very sort of it's noticeable and you know strong posture and that's sort of oh really, thank you thank you yeah and it's you know that's quite a hard thing to achieve in modern days with all our sitting and i noticed your good posture too Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> thank you thank you um and so like what's the thought behind that the, the importance of it in sort of mindfulness journey um, yeah, so uh, posture is important for breathing. It is directly tied to breath. Um, and how do I mean by this? Well, think of uh, like literally we, we call like the trachea the windpipe, right? Like think of it as like a, a piping system. Like the, the spine is, has evolved to be in a certain shape. And that is necessary for us to be able to get good calm breaths in. And maybe you sitting at home listening, you can do some, we can do a little a little practice right here. So let's try, uh, try like slouching, like shoulders forward, upper back curved, like you would if you're like hunched over a computer or a phone and try to get a deep breath in. And you'll find 
it's kind of difficult to get a deep breath. Like definitely the breaths are a little bit more shallow. Now try like putting your shoulders back and uh, maybe get like, maybe get a more upright seat and now try doing a deeper breath. And you'll probably, you'll notice that it's almost like night and day. Like, whereas before when you're curved, it's hard to get that deep breath. Now it's, it's like you can easily fill your whole lungs with air. And this is so critical for, um, you, you had talked about like, we live in this fight and flight response where we don't need to anymore. And breath is a critical indicator to our, um, our, um, nervous system to tell it which state to be in this fight or flight or rest and digest the accessing the parasympathetic nervous system versus the sympathetic nervous system and by being able to get when you're able to get calm slow deep breaths in and more importantly deep like slow exhales that tells your nervous system hey we're not in a state of panic we can just relax here and it shifts you because it, it's it's more similar to your breathing when you're sleeping and that gets and that changes your mindset entirely you stop you stop panicking maybe you stop feeling as anxious and you start to see things more as they as they are you start to regulate yourself a little bit more and maybe things don't bother you as much so for me like working on my posture through yoga was a critical step for me to improve my breathing, then in, thus improving my mindset, thus making it easier for me to be more aware of myself and see the world more as it is and to just be like lighter and happier and more authentically me. That's, I mean, that's really cool and something people might just glance over can, you know, be such an impactful thing. Yeah, it's funny. One of my really one of my best friends here in Seattle, she mentioned that like uh, we had a chat about this a couple months ago uh, where she said, you know, at first she thought people with good posture were just like kind of pretentious assholes. <laughs> like they're, they're just doing it to show off. But then she started doing it herself and she could she noticed the impacts of on her breathing. And she's like, oh, my God, it makes so much sense now. And I was like, yeah, this is what I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> That's really kind of amazing. And so but when you're saying, you know, backing to being in sort of as a, a means to kind of be mindful, sitting in silence and sort of as a depriving the ego, but sitting in silence is quite a challenging thing for people. It's, you know, the brain is sort of developed for constant stimulation and information influx. And yes, and it's almost daunting. It's like be someone's idea of a horror movie. Oh, the lights are out. There's nothing. And I'm just, I'm just here with our thoughts, you know, and um, my thoughts can be scary, you know, um, maybe because I've got a lot of things I'm working through and it's right. And that's your ego talking. Your ego is is intensely aware that you are trying to deprive it and it does not want that. So, yeah, of course, it's going to bring up. Oh, well, what, what about this? What about that? You don't want to be alone with your thoughts. Your thoughts are terrifying. But also, why are they terrifying? Why can't you be alone with your thoughts? They're your thoughts. They're not you. They're just your thoughts. Yes. Um, exactly. S separating. Because that's how we experience kind of thought or is, is that 
we think it so it's true um and you know a lot of people don't even glance over that you know and yeah. what's kind of just your brain it's almost a, can be a problem solving or you know just it's ideas around it's basically an influx of idea almost can be like a brainstorming process but to us it's very real yeah i mean and they they are real in the in the sense of yeah you you thought them up but maybe some thoughts aren't like but the thoughts aren't you and i want to challenge you uh steven and also the listeners and everyone to not view yourself as your thoughts or your emotions these are just these are responses that are part of you but you you aren't that you are like the consciousness under that that if you believe in is spirituality you are the soul and when you start to like kind of uh when you start to uh take that into heart it's easier to sit with your thoughts because you have you don't have anything to worry about it's like the thoughts can be like little daydreams like just because you're thinking it doesn't mean doesn't mean anything about you yeah, it's almost the the body and, and the, the mind are almost kind of tools that the self, um, which is, you know, everything about you, your, kind of your personality and your intention and what you experience, um, and it's kind of it's the tools that you interact with the world with, right? And how you oh, yeah. respond to the world. And Yes. <laughs> in, inherently, it's, it's like a lot of sort of religious things go into it, but uh, on a practical level, you know, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And when you start to like, really like contemplate that, then sitting with your thoughts doesn't sound as bad. And so, you know, that's one challenge. And there's, you know, there's going to be as with any journey and with any sort of almost skill you develop and, you know, practice there's challenges early on and even ongoing and for yourself, um, you know, uh, what sort of challenges did you have, um, you know, getting into doing mindfulness practices and getting into various aspects of it. Did you find certain things were a struggle that had to be overcome? Yeah, for sure. There's definitely some, uh, there's sometimes like, uh, un being uh, like discomfort. It can be uncomfortable sometimes. Uh, sometimes like, I just don't want to do it. Like I'm feeling lazy. Like I don't want it. So I don't want to do yoga every day. So I don't do yoga every day. Or sometimes I don't feel like meditating every day and that's okay. You know, sometimes you're not going to want to do the things and that's fine. Don't judge yourself for it because the point is to not judge and trust yourself that when the time comes, you will be ready to go back to it. And that happens to me plenty of times. Like I'll go back to my mat when, when I'm ready for it. And I don't try to judge myself for taking days off. Yes. It's your journey, right? There's, you're not impressing anyone. And you know, it's and you know, 100%, 100%. You've, yeah. So it's good to own that. Yeah. And like, yeah, there, there are challenges in life, right? But let's not focus on the, we don't have to focus on that. Like, I don't really even, I don't think about the challenges so much anymore. Like if I will just do the things that feel right at the time, if I feel like doing a, like a five to 10 minute seated meditation, I'll do it. And I'm not going to time myself. I will do it for as long as I feel is right for me at the time. And, um, through this mindfulness practice, do you feel your more broader, um, perspective of, of life has sort of changed 
<laughs> oh, completely, like completely changed. <laughs> like, like, oh, it's completely changed. I, um, I definitely feel like I experience the world very differently than most people do. And I experience things a lot more differently. Like you alluded to, like I give this aura um, on the trip. And a lot of it is like I find like a lot of beauty in any moment. Like in part of that is seeing the seeing the world as it is like i i've learned to like really appreciate different lighting and nature and also like graffiti in in like and like architecture and like just all these random things seeing how people like go throughout a market uh like there's so much beauty so much excitement in the world around us in the present that you are in you just have to like you just have to be open to it and like and yeah be open to it and watch for what is happening instead of what you want to happen and you can even do this from home like in the home that you are like in your in your home i bet you could find like a new excitement or new things that you hadn't really considered just by like under like just being aware of it a little bit more Maybe like seeing, maybe you get to see a little little new colors in a painting that you hadn't noticed. Or maybe one of your plants has a new leaf that you hadn't really paid attention to before. And, you know, one of those sort of, I know you sort of have done is even mindful eating, embracing kind of the joy and the experience of eating as opposed to, you know, (laughs) just going downing food as fast as you can and then being like, hmm, that was good. You know, that tastes Oh, yeah. I love mindful eating. Uh, as someone who really enjoys food, I, I really enjoy food. And uh, like I mentioned, cooking is a very mindful thing for me. Eating is a mindful thing, very mindful thing for me. And like I'm very mindful about where the, my ingredients come from and where the techniques are coming from. So, yeah, like there's so much to enjoy from our meals that I think it's I think we're doing ourselves an injustice by just like scarfing it down. Yeah, you're missing out on, on part of the the experience of life, right? You know, we go on this kind of autopilot and this goal, even goal orientated sort of lifestyle, and yeah. maybe we miss out on the smaller things. Yeah, and once, but the smaller things, like it's even calling them smaller things, is doing them a disservice. Like, why is eating considered a smaller thing? We need eating is one of the core things of our for us to literally live like we would die if we starved ourselves so this is something that's so important to us so why don't we give it a little bit more attention and if we do i think we'll start to find a little bit more you'll find a little bit more space for excitement and joy in your life in an area you didn't know about but that you experience every day yeah um as opposed to just constantly looking for these big flashy forms of enjoyment that yeah, everyone sort of and yourself obsess about and focus on, you know, day to day joy is there, right? You don't just have to, you know, have that promotion or, you know, go, go on that big trip. Yeah, <laughs> um, exactly. Um, although that was really enjoyable. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I love yeah. traveling, but, you know, it's not a, it's not always available to me. Like it can get really expensive and the time is can be really tricky to work in your schedule. So I developed this philosophy of being a traveler in your own home. Well, I did, probably didn't develop it, but like I, it's something that it's a, it's something that I like follow. And being a traveler in your own home is saying, hey, um, the world is full of beautiful places. 
I live in the world in one of these beautiful places. So let me treat the, my home, uh, whether it's my hometown or the, the general area or even like my house itself. Let me treat this as I would if I was a traveler, yeah. like find the new local, find the local customs, find like local dishes or like cute corners, uh, like wander around the streets or the parks or, you know, just find new magic that you didn't even know about in the place you call home as if you were traveling to a foreign place. Yeah, you don't always have to go across the world to find something new and exciting and um, very memorable and an experience that almost changes your perspective on things. Oh yeah, definitely. Sometimes those are just in your own backyard, so, in your own neighborhood. So, you know, when you travel, you often can get these. I mean, I had some of these experiences that really made me think on things and challenge my perspective on day to day, what I'm doing with my life. And oh, like what? So, yeah, like, uh, you know, career wise, what, what am I doing sort of the right thing? Um, mm -hmm. you know, here, people who've had their own journeys of finding their kind of path in life and, you know, finding the careers that suited them and you know what was the ideas of also like focusing on and i think i saw this a lot with the, the buddhist and some of the cultures we saw of you know you're t taking care of yourself and you know um your emotional state and your physical state you know those those are really important right maybe some of the most important things in life and often we just kind of go by and, and not think about it and you know you're the one who has to kind of live with yourself and you know you're, you're the one who's most invested in your well-being but sometimes yeah. we just go by and either don't think about it or are even counterintuitively preventing um those things from being <laughs> just kind of almost was a mindful thing itself it put life on pause you know there's just when you're busy in life things you know you're constantly thinking about things and just kind of addressing the day-to-day -day what's going on and you, you start to lose focus of am i doing the things that i really enjoy the things that really work for me and help me kind of thrive in the world and enjoy things and yeah and I even, I got the travel bug, right? I want to travel. I want to challenge my perceptions and experience the things out there, you know. See the people, um, enjoy the cultures. On travel, you get these big experiences, right, that have quite, like, ama amazing impact, potentially, or just very memorable. And even just at home, you can also have those kind of inspiring sort of moments, maybe. In your master's journey, what other kind of big moments can you sort of think of? Any, like, memories of, like... You know, that sort of was very impactful or that was memorable or that helped me transition further in my journey. Um, this is just kind of a memory lane sort of anything sort of come to mind? Any sort of experiences or memories? Um, yeah, I so I was I was laying down um, on in my friend's backyard. We were like doing cloud watching. Uh, it was a nice summer day, and I was just chatting about some of my like fears I had. Well, not fear, like yeah, things on my mind. Like I was worried about a couple of my family members. Uh, this was during the COVID nineteen pandemic. Uh, so this was like twenty twenty one. So it was still like kind of going on in the U.S. Um, and I was worried about a couple of my family members who refused to get vaccinated. And I was 
worried because we obviously shared very different views and I was worried from a point of like their own safety. Um, and I had been going through this stress of being unable to communicate with them and see, get them to see eye to eye with me. And my friend just turns to me and kind of just like matter of factly says, maybe you just need to be a little bit more open hearted here and accept them for who they are rather than who you want them to be. Because if you love someone, then you should accept them. And just those words of being like reminding me to be open hearted. It felt like it accessed a part of my myself that like I had never really opened up before. And I felt this like this illumination coming throughout my body and my mind and my soul. And like it felt like I could connect and ever since that moment. It felt like I could connect with people more, um, more authentically and more vulnerably. And so I describe being open hearted as like you're kind of removing your defenses. You're presenting yourself to the world. You're presenting your heart to the world, maybe through your vulnerabilities or whatever. And you know, it can seem scary. It can seem like, Oh, you might get, you might get hurt. You might get backstabbed, but you know what? I'm not going to live my life in fear. I'm not going to live my life worried that someone might betray me because that's a terrible way to live. Instead, I now live with this belief that every stranger you meet is a potential beautiful connection. You just have to discover it and see how it grows. And when when I at least and I think other I think other people can also find this beauty when you start to view other people as potential like amazing connections then it's you start to become more excited to meet people. You start to see the good in people. And these small steps add up to this whole mindset of just being more, being happier, being more loving, being more empathetic, being more you. You know, we're all out here just trying to be happy. And, you know, I think it's sort of inherent kindness in people. And it's kind of this, you know, idea of, you know, you know, they're just a person going through, you know, a lot in life and they're just trying to be happy and, you know, fit in and uh, you're doing the same. And so at some level, there's a lot of similarity. And so, you know, understanding that means you can stop fearing thoughts and almost being wary of people and you almost become less judgmental, I think, because you, you can understand where people come from as opposed to just saying, Oh, they thought that, ooh, they're bad, or, you know, they did that yes, to me. Yes, exactly. Oh, that's that's their, their existence. They've been placed here just to haunt me. No, they're going through their own stuff, right? And yeah. you know, they're trying to be, you know, good to, to the people that's close to them or, you know, because we're, we're social creatures, right? We want to, you know, at some level be accepted and part of that can be doing good to the people around us because if you value them, you want, you know, you want them to thrive, right? And if you value yourself, you want... You want to maybe take care of yourself and seek positive experiences that are sustainable and rewarding. And, you know, if you do like too many, uh, oh, that was a good experience, but there was a terrible outcome, you realize that, you know, it's maybe not worth it. Yeah, yeah. And like, yeah, like you said, there is a lot of kindness in the world. And I think it benefits us to not live in fear that a couple of the people out there are going to hurt us. Yeah. You, you, I know you have this sort of, um, maybe it's a personal philosophy of 
it's not about you go into that one because that's quite a, a cool sort of framework for or like a, nothing is personal yes is that's that's the yes one. yeah um so yeah let's tell us about that it's a really cool way to, to see the world and it's, it's quite insightful i think I think it's a very freeing way to see the world too. Like I don't worry. So the idea behind nothing is personal is this idea. It, the idea is that like, um, we're all kind of, like you said, we're all kind of like in our heads. Like we all have the, this idea of what we're trying to do. And most of us are so in our heads. In fact, almost all of us are so in our heads that we don't have the, the space to really think about what you are thinking to make decisions based on what we expect you to say or what you to think. Um, instead, we're mostly just doing what we think is the right thing to do at any point in time. And that might seem chaotic to you. It might seem like it might seem chaotic to other people. It might seem like maybe it, maybe someone might consider it offensive or hurtful. But when you start to see stop seeing everything that happens in the world personally, you remove your likelihood of um, you remove the need to like hold on to any moments. Uh, a good example, and I use this example all the time because it perfectly reflects it. Like I'm, I walk down, I'm walking down the street with my friend, my buddy, and he'll be like, "Dude, that guy just gave us a weird look," and I'd be like, um, "I don't think so. I think he's just looking." So, you know, you've probably been in this situation. You're walking down the down the sidewalk and you're just looking past someone. Well, it's very easy from someone, their perspective to think, oh, you're looking directly at them. So, like, what gives? But if you stop thinking about things personally, you're like, eh, whatever. Like, I don't, I see what's going on in the world, but I'm not going to hold any personal, like, I'm not going to tie it to me personally. It's happening around yeah, the, the behaviors can, you know, is, is, can often just be about what's going on in their life, right? You know, if they're having a bit of a tantrum, they're, they're struggling, that it's not that they... 99% of the time, it's probably what's going on in their life. Even people that are, like, very close to you, like an intimate partner or, like, yeah, even, like, yeah, an intimate partner or a best friend, they're oftentimes doing what they think is right. Like, they're not thinking all the time about what you like what's the right thing to do for you at this exact moment they're thinking about what they think is the right thing. and so it's more of a reflection on them than a reflection on you the classic sort of one i think about is you know you're walking past someone or someone's in a room and they sort of start like just laughing and it almost seems like suspect yeah. timing and you will just uh, maybe assume that they're making fun of me um, yes. And it's maybe a little bit tied into like a sense of maybe self-esteem a bit is that the idea that, you know, people would make fun of you. The fact that firstly, you're someone who's, there's something to make fun of, um, not this, as opposed to a really sort of cool person with their own personality and goals and things that are really cool about themselves. And that you're of interest enough to them as a stranger that they would, you know, even make fun of you or find, you know, even have noticed you're in the room, maybe. Yeah, but even if they did, even if they did laugh or they did notice, or even if they noticed how cool you were or how attractive you were, that's more a reflection on them rather than a reflection of you. It's, uh, yeah, it's how they interpret the world and you yeah. know, sort of constraint to you can interpret the world in your own way, in the way that matters for you. Exactly. And life is too complicated and crazy to be also, to be also focused on how other people see the world. So, 
you know, don't, don't take any mind to all the randomness that happens around us. Focus on you, focus on your core, focus on your needs. That's the ultimate point of the philosophy of nothing is personal. I think it's, it's really cool. And I've also sort of myself embraced some of that and I've found it really helpful. Nice. Mindfulness is quite a, it's like a really cool thing in your sort of tool set and, you know, it can help you with, you know, emotional sort of challenges or you know, even just in a situation, staying calm, pausing, thinking, not just reacting. How have you found maybe as an example of how it's helped you um, solve challenges? I guess, okay, so one of the challenges I'm going through right now is, like, you know, you mentioned a career change, right? And I'm kind of going through something similar. Um, I got laid off uh, six months ago, and I'm exploring. And so initially, I noticed that my first reaction after I got laid off was, you know, I was enjoying my time, but I was also doing interview prep because I was, like, kind of assuming I'm going to go back. But now, after I've given myself time and space I'm exploring, well, what does it mean if I don't go back? And maybe I don't actually care for a career. Maybe I want to live my life in a different way. So now I'm trying, now it's given me the space to be more creative. And maybe I don't have to define my life in the way that other people define their lives. And maybe I don't have to do it in such a way that I can be, as long as I'm intentional, and I, it does require me to be more intentional. Like I have to be aware of what's going on. I have to be aware of myself and my needs. But through that, I'm going to just follow this journey and see where it goes. I don't have a destination. I don't have an end goal, but I trust myself. And ultimately that mindfulness practice gives me trust in myself to make the right decision at any point in time in my life. And I trust future Vahagan. I trust present Vahagan. I, if you have that trust, you don't have to have a strict plan because the world is constantly changing. Everything is constantly changing and having like a plan for like the next 10, 15, 5, 10, 15 years is this kind of assuming that nothing will change in that time. And I think that is kind of mindless. We have to be aware of what's going on in ourselves, in the world around us to make like fluid changes. So right now I am just kind of fluidly moving. I'm embracing the chaos of my life because it's a chaos that is ultimately me. And when you sort of lose your job, there can be sort of a lot of stress and anxiety, right? It's a, it's a, yeah. it's an uncomfortable type of situation we're normally thrown in, right? And do you, do you mm-hmm. find uh, use mindfulness to cope with that? Oh, for sure. I mean, like mindfulness techniques are crucial to dealing with like the initial anxiety and stress responses, like just getting yourself to be out of that fight and flight response and into rest and digest through the, like through breathing or for through like mindful walks or just giving yourself space and just to think uh, just to reflect it does wonders in opening up your creativity yeah so you know someone wants to take on this mindfulness journey and so you know into daily life and what are sort of like practical ways to integrate it into you know quite everyday sort of activities we'll find something you like to do maybe you like walking taking walks or uh, yeah so let's say you like taking walks so now next time you take a walk i want you to focus uh less on the destination 
and less on your thoughts. And just like, just be aware. We're cultivating awareness. Be aware of your body, of yourself, of your, like, like a, the, how your foot touches the ground as you walk. Maybe how you're walk, like how you walk in general. Like, do you walk like with your feet side by side or do you walk in like a straight, narrow line? Um, what are the things you see? Do you see like trees? What kind of trees? Like, what, what are the smells you smell? Do, what, like, how do you pass any, like any animals? Uh, just like being more cultivating this practice of awareness is the core of mindfulness and is an easy way place to start. And so that's sort of um, kind of everyday activity. But, you know, part of our sort of life is, you know, especially in a working world is being productive. Right. And you mm-hmm. sort of, you know, maybe hear about these big CEOs, how they take that little, have the, this room that they do like meditation, you know, the 15 minutes and then they come out with all these big ideas and focus. <laughs> <laughs> that's more like a Hollywood-esque sort of thing. But, you know, um, for kind of performance and getting yourself ready for the day even, you know, do you find it quite helpful? Oh, for sure. I, I mean, I like doing like a little meditation after I wake up. Uh, it's a good way to like kind of shake off some of the like whatever your mind was holding on to while you were sleeping because uh, your mind is still active uh, and you might wake up like maybe you wake up with a little stress or anxiety. And so it's good to just shake that off with a little a little like breathing and a little meditation for sure. Um, I can't, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that some people also get like some inf- inspirations of productivity when doing it, but I'd say focus less on the goal and more on the practice, because if you focus on the journey and the practice, do you want to, that the benefits will come to you. And for yourself, what have you sort of your regime that you've sort of uh, landed on maybe or at this present moment um you know what does it look like in a, a week of vahach and what do you how do you integrate into your day you know what does a week look like in that front oh that's a huh uh, that's a difficult question because i'd say like especially now like my weeks are kind of like don't really look that familiar i'd say some of the consistencies are um i do have some like some little rituals I'll do some like consistent things. Like I love to cook, like I mentioned and doing yoga and walks. Um, and you know, some days I'm a lot, I'm less mindful than others and that's okay. But a lot of it is just like bringing that awareness into your life, doing checkups. I'll do checkups on myself to see how I'm feeling, what feels right, what I want to do. And I'll kind of just make plans around that or do things around that. Like the other day, it was a beautiful day. Uh, so after like in the late afternoon I went out onto the water and did some paddle boarding and just like kind of became one with my board I meditated on my board a little bit and like was able to feel the the board a little bit better and it just it, it was nice just the other day when I was paddle boarding on a lake um in my town I was watching the clouds and just how beautiful they were they kind of had broken up to be these like little boulders in the sky and the way that the sun was starting to set was making this really picturesque scene like of like one of the most beautiful sunsets i'd seen and we get a lot of beautiful sunsets so <laughs> um but it was just so special to be in that moment and to be experiencing the waves uh, the little like waves of the lake and 
the clouds above and the feel of the the rays of the sun during golden hour and being there with one of my close friends is just all of this together made a beautiful scene. And I'm like I, I think I started crying tears of happiness afterwards. I just felt such a rush of love. That that really seems like such a sort of beautiful moment, right? Yeah, and that was just Wednesday. <laughs> that was this week. <laughs> it almost sounds like, you know, someone's going off to, I don't know, some Himalayan place and they, you know, they yeah. climb up this incredibly dangerous gorge and they climb into this cave and there's this yeah. you know, guru they sit next to and he brings out some, you know, thing you drink out of that puts you in this trance. <laughs> but, <laughs> exactly. But you you can have that like this is within you this these beauties this vision it's all within you you just have to access it and you know you're quite a people orientated sort of person your relationships in life and you know this you know i mean relationship self you know brought you on this journey how do you find relationships you know various types have sort of changed for you maybe in the experience well, and the interaction I've completely changed my philosophy of relationships in the past several years. I view relationships now as like a connection that need that should be fostered to grow, but like ultimately isn't something that you can morph. It's something that you should let grow organically and see what it happens. And each relationship with each person has, will be unique. And I love meeting people because I get to experience those new relationships. I feel more intentional around the relationships that I have. Like when I'm feeling good about them, I express the, the goodness in them. And when I'm feeling like something is off, I'll express that too. And just like being more aware in it, I feel like I can, I've developed deeper relationships and more fulfilling relationships and more authentic relationships where I can show up and I feel like the other person can also show up as they are. I find actually when people show uh, appreciation for moments and things, you know, their perspective on you, it's, it's almost like unusual and some people almost are scared to do it because it's out of a norm. Like if you're talking to someone and they're like, this is a really cool conversation. And you're like a really cool person and I'm really kind of enjoying this moment. But you know, a lot of people always say that. I find that it almost gives you a sense of this person sort of had some growth in their, you know, as in their life. Oh yeah, I agree. And I think it comes from like no longer seeing things in fear or like in scarcity. Like there's no reason to not like talk people up and like help each other out because like we're all in this crazy world together like we all want someone to have our back and feel like we're loved and i like i love being like a source of that love and like i'm i'm like thrilled to be on this podcast with you steven and i was thrilled to have you on my podcast and it's been really great like getting to know you as a person and i'm like thrilled to see where our relationship takes us in the future i, I really appreciate that I appreciate more people who are showing up authentically or at least have like a like an interest in understanding themselves a little bit more. And it's something that I can see within them. It's like I can tell through people's eyes if they understand, like understand themselves enough to understand me. Like I've noticed that some of my friends don't really do that. So like, you know, we're still friends, but I wouldn't consider them like really strong friends of mine um but they're still friends 
for sure. I like, I still enjoy having people of all kinds around me and like having like shooting the shit and things like that. But the people who are very close to me are most likely going to be people who are on the journey of understanding themselves. Is there any um, favorite quotes you have on mindfulness? Oh yeah, okay, so here's one on happiness. It's a Buddhist teaching. So a farmer comes to the Buddha and says, dear Buddha, you must help me. My cows have run away and I am miserable without them. I need my cows. So the Buddha sends some monks to go and fetch the and get back the cows. And once the farmer leaves, the Buddha turns to the rest of the monks and says, see, you all who have nothing, pointing to the monks, are infinitely happier than the farmer. Because the farmer thinks that the cows are his tie to happiness, are his key to happiness. But really, the cows are a tether to unhappiness. And when the, the point of this like parable, this teaching, is that when we tie our happiness, which is an internal state, to the external world, we are inviting the possibility of unhappiness. But really, happiness is a choice. It's a choice that us and us alone make. No one can make it for us. And it's a choice we should we should intentionally take and take very seriously. Do you find that um, mindfulness helps you better understand yourself? You mentioned in chatting with you patterns and you know uh, habits. Does it help you sort of identify them? And how do you handle maybe addressing certain patterns that maybe you want to get out of or certain habits? Hmm. Um, yeah, I think I've noticed, I've definitely noticed in myself like judgments or like anxiety responses or stress responses that like that I've tackled and I've like one of the most clear examples I'd say is going back to the very first story I told about my journey of mindfulness where when I would want try to be like emotionally available or like dig deep to figure out what my emotional needs were I froze and I didn't know what to do and I couldn't get past that and part of my journey involved me healing that so now I'm very free I understand what my emotional needs are and I'm very free to talk about them I'm free to t I'm very able to talk about these more uh, like uh, difficult conversations and so I think that that wouldn't have happened without me going on this journey I think you're really glad you did right oh yeah I mean I wouldn't I'm a completely different person than I was three years ago and I'm thrilled to see where this journey takes me and yeah so mindfulness part of the better benefit is you sort of foster self-compassion and, and acceptance and mm -hmm. through that sort of develop sort of self-care. Have you found that it's helped you or inspired you to take better care of yourself? So what sort of lifestyle changes has it sort of created? like focusing more on where my ingredients are coming from, for instance, in terms of cooking, like where is food coming from? Um, like, what am I putting into my body? Uh, focus on that. So like health related things there. Um, emotional regulation, you could call it just kind of like understanding when I'm getting stressed or elevated like anxiety and then going from there. Um, and then like kind of like addressing it and like soothing, being able to soothe myself and fulfill my own needs and ultimately like changing how I view myself and what I thought I needed. Like I thought 
like when I first started this journey in the very beginning, it came from a place of me wanting to figure out like how to get a partner because I was afraid of being alone. But now I love it. I love being alone with my thoughts. I love like being in my space and I love like I have a partner now and I love I love that definitely. But I would, regardless of what happens, I know I will thrive. I will vibe. I will be, I will be me. That sounds like it creates quite a reassuring view of the future and, you know, who you are and who you're becoming. Yeah, I feel more flexible to whatever the future brings. If you're interested in understanding mindfulness a little bit better, there's some books like Mindfulness in Plain English is an excellent book on mindfulness, but also like gives you a little bit more of a practical guide of how to do a common seated meditation. So if you're interested in adding meditation to your life, I, I recommend that book. It'll go through some of the technical like details and like some of the things to help you get started and like kind of deal with the discomfort that you're inevitably going to get when you're starting off. I love reading. Um, so if you like reading, I highly recommend like reading some of the some books on mindfulness, uh, especially like the closer you can get to the source, uh, the better. Like there are some Buddhist uh, monks that are very popular, like Thich Nhat Hanh. He's a Viet Vietnamese uh, Buddhist monk. He's got a lot of very good, uh, very good books that explain a lot of the details of mindfulness and very simple words and a lot of the philosophy behind it. Um, I found his work very enlightening. And if you're not much of a reader, then just like I like I said, some of the practical things of just taking an activity that you enjoy doing and being more aware of yourself while you're doing it. Um, that's a that's a big part of it. Like if you enjoy, let's say, tennis or pickleball, everyone's all a rage about pickleball in the U.S. I don't know if it's it's big in South Africa or not. If you're playing any of these games or sports, focus a little bit on your breathing. How are you breathing? Are you breathing shallow breaths? Are you breathing? deeper breaths how do your arm how does your body feel as you're moving can you try to like imagine feeling like how your arms move or your shoulders move or your legs or your hips and just cultivating that awareness is great it's a great exercise for your brain to just become more mindful in general and like what we're trying to do is we're trying to make this a reflex response like we don't want to think about awareness awareness is supposed to be a reflex and the more you you get used to it the more you can develop that so any uh, last things you'd sort of like to say to the listeners out there to help them along on their journey or anything really you want to say at the sort of final moments yeah, I'd say if this, if you've never heard of mindfulness or even if, or if you've been interested, I think this is something for everybody. I think there's a lot of good to be learned. So I like to say there's nothing unique about me. There's nothing in my gene pool or my family history that made me more inclined to take this mindful journey. It's just something that I intentionally chose to do. You too can run and can get to this state. You too can find these beautiful moments in the most mundane situations. You too can find this like inner peace and happiness. It's just a big part of it is just being a little bit more intentional, intentionally choosing to start this journey. And it may look different for you than it did with me. Maybe classes is a great way to start. Maybe books, maybe therapy. But whatever way you start, it's yours. This is your journey. And in taking it, I think you'll start to understand yourself on a deeper level. Like I understand myself on a deeper level. Thanks so much for coming on, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is lovely.
Yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. I really wish you all the best with your future and your, your podcast. If you guys haven't checked out The Authentic Chaos with Bahagen, it's it's a great experience. I've been listening to a lot of it and it's just, I've learned some cool things. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's Authentic Chaos. Uh, we're on Spotify, uh, YouTube, Apple, and Google. So yeah, if you're interested, uh, I'm also happy to chat with you again as well. I loved the conversation we had. Uh, definitely cool hearing about your fire dancing and your journey of being the most extreme version of yourself. Yeah, no, I appreciate being on. Yeah, again, if anyone wants to hear your host under uh, under fire, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, you know, on the other end of the interrogation, <laughs> there's an opportunity in that channel. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you.